0: But well, we are, are really amazed that it's not raining because we've we've been driving for a day and a half now and in in constant rain all through clear across uh, Pennsylvania and into and actually halfway across New Jersey it was just raining cats and dogs the whole time. Uh, well, I wanted to the no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: the bad
0: side of oh yeah, that Morgan, of that. yeah.
1: Morgan,
0: yeah. The- I haven't got it running so. No, it's the Morgan.
1: It's a Morgan. Yeah. Oh, the Morgan. Oh no. It's Anna. still on the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, well, it's really nice to be here. We just, uh, as you know, we couldn't have timed it more closely <laughs> on a trip from Indiana. <laughs> we sort of drove into town uh, half an hour ago, or something, on a 15-hour, two-day, over a two-day trip. But. um very nice to be in New York again. And um, we'd like to show you some slides of, about Twin Rocker and talk to you about Twin Rocker a little bit and about being paper makers and um, hope that you will learn to love handmade paper and sort of see it and think about it. And when you, when you see uh, wonderful limited edition books, you know, you'll know a little bit more about um, how that book was made.
0: It's when we started 15 years ago um, our intention was to make paper for books primarily and it's, it's interesting because then as it worked out for the first uh, well, almost 10 years almost all the paper we made was for art and simply because um, we were a little too early that people weren't buying books and even though there were wonderful things being made here in this country uh, people weren't be, were rarely able to use handmade paper for them because of the cost. And that has changed around radically in the past few years, thanks to Claire and Walter and fine print, and, uh, and we think it's just wonderful. And, um,
1: the uh, limited edition books are really narrative art. They're like paintings and drawings. Um, they're not done just to hold information. They're not made just to be a collection of information. They're, they're intended to be a work of art that is a narrative work of art, that where the text is of utmost importance along with the, the way the book is made and the way that it looks and the way that it feels and the way that you know it's a, an intimate art object that goes through time and space that you hold and you can carry around with you and then you close up and put away on a shelf you can take it out again. So my, for instance, my background, my formal education is in fine art, in printmaking and making etchings and lithographs and things like that. So I've, you know, before I started making handmade paper and got involved with books, all of my artwork was on the wall and it was there all the time. You either, it either is completely put away and you almost never look at it or you frame it and you put it on the wall and it's always in front of you and you don't have the choice of saying, um, I don't want to look at it now. <laughs> I don't want to see it today. I might want to see it next week or something. But you know, I it's more difficult, right? And the nice thing about books is that, as a work of the book as a work of art, is something that you you put away. You put it on the shelf, and then when you're ready to look at it, you take it out, and it doesn't always bombard you, unlike paintings and drawings and sculpture.
0: I think, uh, I remember when the first project that we worked with Claire on, um, we hashed out all kinds of stuff made up of okay. a dummy, we fooled around with it, and we thought we had a pretty good idea. And Claire says, well, just a minute. And she picked it up and went and found a comfortable chair and sat down in it and opened it up in her lap because it wasn't a conventional book. But you know, it's like one of the things that's really nice about a book is you can curl up in a chair with it. And I think um, even a very quite large book you may not curl up in a chair with it, but uh, but still, it's it's so much more intimate than um, than I work on a wall.
1: I think when you know you're a librarian, you think about books as being mostly containers of information, uh, and you think about processing and taking care of them in that way. And um, really, the the book now. I mean, we're in the middle of this big transition, right? Where information is not going to be put in books just to hold information anymore. Um, it's put on computers and things like that. Hard disks and you know, so now we really can start to see the book as you know, the the codex form as its own form, what it does, how it is, and how we can enjoy it in a different way from um, you know, zeros and ones or something. Um, okay, so let's we're gonna just give you an overview of paper making. We're not gonna talk to you about how paper is made technically, but we are gonna show you, you know, about what happens at Twin Rocker. And the light.
0: Did it? Yeah, you got it. Is it on? Did I just turn it off? No, you just turned it off again. Oh,
1: okay. It's on now. This is gonna be great on the day. Nice. Push it. Advance. Okay, it. advance. It lives. Focus. Okay. We live on a farm, on a twenty-acre farm outside a tiny town of about a thousand people in middle north Indiana about, t- it's about 12 miles north of Purdue University for you university people north of Lafayette and um, this, is, this, fam- this farm has been in Howard's family for five generations we moved there from San Francisco in 1972 so that his grandmother who was 80 at the time could continue to live there and we, and the farm would stay in the family and all those kinds of family reasons is why we left um, left San Francisco. We had made paper in San Francisco one year. Whoops! I just wrong button. This is the official sign. <laughs> We're very low key. The farmhouse. Oops! Sorry.
0: Here on yes.
1: <laughs> and this is uh, one of the buildings that we have in Brookston. Down, to, this is our warehouse. Semi trucks come with bales of fiber, and we have our hydraulic lift truck that goes into the alley and takes off these bales from semi trucks. It's it's quaint, but it's real life. <laughs> Sometimes people are shocked at the scale. You know, you have to have all these things when you make paper. This is the farm. Um this is the way the buildings were several years ago actually. The um, paper making happens on the farm in three buildings. The brown the dark building is a building that we built. Uh, my twin sister and her husband and Howard and I built that building from scratch for a Paper Studio. It was a, probably the first hand mill that had been built from scratch in many years. The barn uh, is my artist studio and we also use it for curating paper. Curating, meaning inspecting and grading paper. And the little building behind is our letterpress studio. So, the inside of the mill, all the, the vats are movable because we make custom paper for special projects mainly, although we also have a variety of papers that are for sale by the sheet. Um, we are not like a European mill. We're very, very different from a traditional mill that's a high production mill. Twin Rocker is a low production mill. Least, mo- paper at Twin Rocker is made mainly in a Western tradition, that means European tradition, from cotton and linen rag mainly, although we also use Russian hemp or European hemp and also uh, abaca or manila hemp. This is cotton rag being cut. We
0: use a lot of these 16.
1: Yeah, we actually use 16 different fibers. Well, not completely, but, you know, like five forms of flax, for instance, and things like that. The,
0: the trick to making paper is making pulp. And change plant fibers into paper pulp in this machine. I think one of the very interesting things about paper making is that you make a chemical change to a material by strictly mechanical means, and that's what this machine does. And it's the secret to uh, making decent paper. Uh, that was our the first beater, which has now been retired, and this is the current beater.
1: This is a stainless steel beater. This is. One of the pictures that, of uh, it being built down in the warehouse. Um,
0: the yeah the um, this. the principle is that there's a the a roll is like a paddle wheel. It circulates the pulp around the the uh, beater. It also traps a certain amount between the moving blades of the of the roll and the bed plate underneath. When it gets trapped and pinched and squeezed in there, it works. Um, on the order of squeezing a sponge in a bucket of water, and that the fibers take up water, water gets down into places that it never was when it was a plant, and after you form a sheet of paper out of it, as the water dries out, the water pulls these fibers closer together than they were in nature, bonds take place, and you have converted plants into paper.
1: And in a sense, they would never go back to being a plant again once that fiber is crushed. Now, the, pla- the paper can be recycled, that is, you can take paper and make it back into a pulp and make more paper from it, but you can never get it you know, back to the plant. This is Jim Good, who is a beater, who's our beater man at Twin Rocker now, and he's emptying the beater. He's just turned it off, and the pulp is coming out of the beater into what we call a rollie because there are stuff chests that roll around. This is Chris Gibson, who is the main paper maker at Twin Rocker. Posing, and now we'll see. Yeah, right. This is that's when he had quit smoking, and he was joking around with a pack of gum because he was trying to quit smoking. Now he's failed. <laughs> he's back to the real thing. Anyway, um, there's a sequence now on just the, all the steps of paper making. He's adding pulp. We add pulp by hand to the vat. We have no mechanical mechanism, as in as they do in Europe. So everything's done by hand. Slowly, as opposed to automatic in Europe.
0: The thing about all those, if you read the history of papermaking, you see all these gizmos. Uh, There's a device that stirs the vat, and there are things that take knots out, and there's various other little gizmos. These were all part of um, production papermaking, high-speed papermaking, so they could make a couple thousand sheets a day. And they're not essential to papermaking. And in fact, if you change very often, they get in the way. And you know, if you stir the vat automatically, then you have to have a machine that take the knots that get stirred into the vat out, and so on and so forth. So every time you add a machine, it complicates the process, and you have to add another machine to fix what that machine does, and, and so on. When we do short runs the way we do it, uh, it's easier to just stir it by hand. And you don't have to clean everything when you can. Now, the pulp, comes out of the beater, is quite thick, it's diluted greatly in the vat, the mold is dipped into the pulp, right. and uh, a sheet is formed, and as Chris is shaking the mold, he's making a way break over the front edge. That is done to uh, control the thickness of each sheet. That way you can have a, you keep the pulp in the vat a little bit too thick, and each time you make a sheet, you shake off what you don't need. So you don't have to continually add pulp. That's the it's paper maker's shake that you hear about in some
1: of the historical things. The uh, throwing the pulp off the top of the mold is called throwing the wave. And that is the really critical and important technique to learn in order to make each sheet the same thickness as in a book. The
0: deckle is a wooden uh, device. And it forms the edge of the sheet of paper. The sheet of paper is formed, it's like liquid, water drains through the mold, so it slowly sinks into the deckle. Now, to remove the sheet, then the deckle is removed, and then the. Once you take the deckle off, then the paper is now the highest thing on the mold, and it can be stuck to the mold itself.
1: This process is called cooching. On a paper machine, there are cooch rolls that do the same thing. So really a paper machine is just trying to imitate what a hand paper maker did. And there's you know, their formation happens on the wire, uh, and cooching and all
0: that sort of thing. Is that an example of that last feather Yeah, sure is. I can back up and... Yeah. And that's done, can't that right? yeah,
1: yeah. It's an exaggerated decorative uh thing
0: like order that cover things? Oh, yeah. Um, not, not, not used much for books. Not for books, of, no. no. Right, but
1: that. for watercolors and prints and drawings and things like that. Okay. Now,
0: this stack is called a post. You can see here how thick the paper is on the pole, even though the paper will be much thinner after the sheet is uh, is dry. Um, a stack of paper, felt paper, you put it in the press And uh, give it a squeeze. Now this press presses 50 tons. Okay. so that's about 20 the weight of 25 Volkswagens. And, um the hydraulic press is a, a key to, to uh, paper making, particularly for books. Because, um, as I say, the, as the water dries out of the fibers, it pulls them closer together and they stick themselves together. But what happens is if you don't, give a, if you don't press the stuff properly. The fibers are so far apart because there's so much water in it, at the point of forming a sheet, that water will evaporate without the fibers getting close enough together to form bonds. And you get a spongy sheet of paper like an like a, uh, egg carton. This is a 20-ton press.
1: takes a, an incredible amount of energy to get the water in in the beating of the hollander beater and then that's really important to make good paper as it takes you have to get a lot of water in and then it takes an incredible amount of energy to get the water out <laughs> and really that's all paper making is you have to you know getting it in and getting it out somewhere in between the paper gets made
0: it also makes it very wet
1: the more the fiber is beaten with water and the more water molecules that the fiber the cellulose takes on the more rattly the paper is the more crisp the uh, more transparent the harder the denser so good book paper is made from uh, you know rag fiber or you know uh, the uh, the long fibrillated fibers and it's beaten a long time
0: now right after pressing you can pick the sheets up off the felt and lay them into a pole. Then they can be pressed again, and then dried. Now, traditionally, paper was hung to dry. They didn't have any other way to do it. And um, you'll see references to hanging them on horsehair ropes. What these were were special ropes that were woven with a very loose covering. And the paper would hang over that loose covering, which would uh, distribute the weight to try to make it a, a more even thing, but when you get through, it was like a taco shell, you know. Paper was bent. And uh, early on, they started making uh, racks and things to dry paper on. And in some areas, in France, they hung them with clips, which is the way we prefer. Um, But this gives a very rough piece of paper. It's great for watercolor, but printers nowadays don't care for that surface very much. And uh, the old traditional loft-dried... Paper is uh, rather difficult to print on. You look at old books, of course, you see that they were quite rough when they printed them. But nowadays, uh, people don't care for that much. We make paper in all sizes, and this is the largest we make. It's four by eight feet. It takes four of us. This is Cooching. We had an order.
1: <laughs> it's uh, we actually. Somebody asked us to make watercolor paper. That they again most of the four foot by eight foot paper that we have made is for artwork, uh mostly for painting. Gelatin sized. Gelatin surface sized after the paper's dry. These are the felts. Okay, so that that was cooching and then this is the they're putting the felt on
0: in order to make the next sheet. The way that worked actually was that um, I, they were the things, we Minnesota and ourselves sort of tuck each other into it. I had a press where we didn't have a mold and, and uh, he had a wall <laughs> and a client and yeah. so when it worked out we wanted to We've made only about a dozen sheets, but it's a lot of interesting. Now the the whole thing about this process is that you can use it to make art. Now, this is some of Kathy's art, but papermaking isn't limited to just making white sheets of paper. You can do other things with it.
1: Different layers of colored pulp can be couched, one directly on top of another layer. And hydrogen bonding, that same bonding we were talking about, happens between these different layers of colored pulp. So, for instance, there's no... um, This piece is made completely from paper and thread. There is no drawing on it, except for the printed page <laughs> that's um, collaged on. The um, all the color is has to do is very very thin veils of colored pulp that are couched one directly on top of another. They're, they become transparent uh, or translucent in that way. And by blocking out, sort of like a silkscreen, if you want to think of it that way, by blocking out with plastic, um, you can prevent the pulp from going in one place or another. And that's what makes the edges. And by manipulating the pulp when it's wet, you can, you know, I can uh, change the tone of the from dark to light and the swirls. And then the, you know, I use water drops as a drawing material, as a drawing medium, so that you know I'm dropping water intentionally on it. This is another piece. I'm very interested in books, as you can see. These are. It's easier for me to think about. Um, these all have to do with the double-page spread, and about balance, about just thinking about illustration coming. From one side to another and how do you look at you know two rectangles that are divided in the center or that spread for me it's as an because I my backgrounds in art and fine art it's a lot easier for me to work three feet by four feet which is what these are than to work small these each half is three by four feet and then this is very small this is a a broadside that um, I did for Tom Taylor, who, this is a John Fowles uh, little essay, and this is a landscape, all in colored pulp. And a title page for, uh, looks like the slide got wet, so the title page for a book, a, proto- a, book, it was a prototype for a, an edition actually that never got made, um, that I did with Wesley Tanner. Uh, James McGarrell was the draftsman who did lithographs for it, and William Matthews was the author. And William Matthews wrote all of these poems for this book. They're called all each poem in the whole book was called "Flood."
0: What we really liked about this thing is that, um, and you know, it never turned out, but it combines media, and uh, a lot of people can't tell where one leaves off and the other begins. But the lithography, letterpress, and Paper. And we think that you know there are there are attributes of paper that you can't get with other media. But some people seem to want to use just the paper to, get, to do what they have to do. But there are good ways to get line and flat uh, colors and things like that with printing. Here. And remind you uh, of we think it's most effective.
1: This book, particular book, was a very interesting project. Um, the The book came into being because of an idea that I had had for years. Uh, And Jim McGarrell, who was teaching at Indiana University, is a painter. He's a painter. He shows here in New York Um, and teaches in in St. Louis now. But he um, had access to funding. And so I wanted to try to make a book with an author, a typographer, um, an artist, and myself where the text did not exist before the book began nothing existed before the book began all the people came together and made the book at one time it was impossible to write that many poems instantly So William Matthews wrote mo- many poems before we we all came together at Indiana University then he brought the poems and all it was a, there was nobody in charge and since there was no publisher for this book that was the whole thing the reason it needed to be funded because nobody initiated the book, or you know, in a sense, there was no, but no leader, and it was completely um, everybody had to agree before anything could happen. We then picked the poems through a democratic choice of what poems we wanted in the book, and we then designed the book together, saying, "Let's have a lithograph on this page, poem on this page, handmade paper piece on this page, etc., going through the book, and came to a page that needed something but we had already discarded the other poems so we weren't going to go back so then we went to the author and we said okay fill this page and it's odd that in literature or um, when books are made uh, publishers think nothing of going to the artist and saying fill this page the art doesn't have to have existed before but the whole idea of having a text not exist until the moment the book is created to say, I don't know what the text is going to be like. I'm not going to edit it and just decide first. But to say to the author, "Um, make a book. I'm going to publish whatever it is you write. You know, people say that to Robert Rauschenberg all the time or Jasper Johns and these other artists, you know, that a publisher comes to them and says, I want to publish five lithographs. They don't know they could be horrible. (laughs) They could be good. They could be horrible. They're still going to pay for them and they're still going to publish them on faith. But nobody ever does that with an author.
0: At anyway, it was it was fun, but because there was no, um, because it was democratic, nothing ever happened. <laughs>
1: well, because there was no publisher. It was just us artists working together. We actually made the prototype, but nobody came. We also, there was no budget. Okay. So we went ahead and made a book that was, it was too expensive to produce. <laughs> this is our letterpress studio. And then this is uh, some of the pages from another book that we did with Michael
0: Gullick. Now, when we work with people to make books... Uh, as a rule, it's done uh, through the mail and over the telephone uh, with people that who's you know we have we share our ideas and somehow the thing happens usually by mail and over the telephone with michael uh, it, Michael's from England, he was doing some uh, two different lecture series here in the states with about a month and a half in between, so we said, "Well heck, why don't you come?" To- Brookston and uh, while he was there we designed the book, designed the paper and he printed it.
1: We have the book here, you can see it later. The paper is made from abaca which is a banana leaf fiber.
0: The poems are are 7th century Arab um, love poems. They're very um, direct and simple in one hand and also very uh, very Easy. Very, um, forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, they happened in um, um, Tunisia, what is now Tunisia. And we thought that the color of abaca paper and the feel of it was very much like that area, kind of a dry, thin, light feel to it. And uh, illustration just seemed out of the question. It was just too much. So um, Kathy worked out. Well, was essentially a decorative decorated paper with just a wash over it
1: so and there's a another book that we brought too by, that we did with claire that uh, has is very strong illustration so it's interesting to see how when you work with um say some imagery in a sense and hand in the paper itself it can be very mild it can just you know give a feel and a mood set a mood or it can be very specific these are some of the proofs it was really the, this was all printed at twin rocker so it was very nice to go back and forth between the press room and the paper studio. Here's
0: an example of loft dried paper, yeah, rough it is. Right. So it this doesn't paper, doesn't look very good to, to us.
1: No, these are proofs, so every all the decoration is like, what so what should be dark, light, let's try everything. And then when you can have an idea to print on it, this is one of the finished ones. So it just really started to disappear and not become, um, not take over, you know, and be too dominant. Um, one of the printed pages and then the binding was done in the loft part of it and some of it in England too that um, Michael designed the binding and uh, it has to do with Chris Clarkson's influence on it too it's a non-adhesive binding with a butterfly stitch and the uh, actual end sheets of of the, the paper itself actually become boards in the or support the cover so the cover paper is very very thin that's wrapped around actual sheets from the book which gives it um, some uh, body you can feel it after later the reception so this is the cover paper it's very very thin abaca
0: abaca by the way is um, is fiber from the leaf of a type of banana plant that comes from the Philippines it's called manila hemp uh, because it was brought in as a uh, cheap substitute for uh, true hemp. But it's no, not hemp at all, it's a banana. And abaca is the more appropriate thing. Uh, paper that everyone is familiar that's made from abaca is tea le- or a tea bag.
1: And manila folders used to be made from manila hemp or abaca. They're made from old manila ropes,
0: actually. Manila ropes, okay. yeah. It was before chlorine bleach. So they made paper from these old Manila from Manila ropes. It gave a very strong paper, but it was yellow. And you know, in those days, if it was good, it had to be white. And so they used it for commercial paper, like um, folders and things. And of course, nowadays it's made out of uh, wood pulp and dyed yellow to look like Manila.
1: It has very high tear strength. It's very strong, long fiber. Okay, now this is a uh, another project that we did actually before the last two that we've shown. Uh, called Lilac Wind that we did with Claire and have you did you sh- have you seen slides of this already no her
0: class.
1: just the one class yeah. okay um, we've done several books. oh I see okay we've done several books with Claire and uh, this one was an, an example of one it was the first time that we ever worked with shape paper and uh, that sort of thing we brought it with us too and you'll be able to see it afterwards uh, when Claire came, she. When we work with Claire, in fact, most of the pe- most authors, most of when we work collaboratively, excuse me, let me start over, with another person, because what we bring to it is usually artistic, and in the terms of designing the paper, working with it artistically, and we're not um, editors, in a sense, we don't have a, a publishing policy in terms of the kind of text that we publish the person we collaborate with usually chooses the text because they are that kind of person. Usually, They're usually a letterpress printer. They have um, text that, they are, that people expect them to publish. And so Claire chose this text um, and brought it with her.
0: And we and, all had a very different book in mind when Claire arrived than how it turned out. And we just started playing around with right. it. And, um,
1: she thought it was going to be a regular codex type book with flush left. Kind of thing and she brought the the poems printed um wr johnson support so we we played around with butcher paper howard said why not make a we claire likes to have landscapes uh and most of the text that she choose' <laughs> something like talking about somebody when they're right in front of you like, <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong for god's sake so most of the poems that that she publishes and she chooses the text have to do with landscapes, so um, this is a landscape as well. And uh, Howard said, "Well, let's how about a a shaped landscape this time?" And so we just started with butcher paper. And um, some somehow people are always asking me, "Well, what is it you do? and What do they do?" Well, it's just like making a movie or a play or something. It's like making music. You you just do it. You do it together, and just like you were saying you know nobody you work back and forth and you all come up with ideas you say well what about this what about this and then you just you just do it together there's no no division you know there's there is some but it it really overlaps so much and it, it's like um it's interesting to see collaborative well book projects are almost always collaborative most people don't do them completely by themselves but it's interesting to see the kinds of books that you do with one person and another person because it's like playing when I play the fiddle, if I play if I make music with you I'm going to make different music than if I make with with her you know um, and that's one of the joys of of doing you know artwork making artwork and working collaboratively So here we are fooling around with the design These are the colors of pulp that go into the landscape so we have to determine how you have to guess how big you want the addition and then you have to make all the pulp ab- ahead of time and then if you run out of pulp, you then stop the addition. But <laughs> you try to make sure that you're going to be okay. And this is the divided deckle in the center of the mold. So we were actually making one book at a time. So this, this uh, paper is um, skived and, gl- and glued together. And it's a concertina fold that uh, the whole book being 60 inches long. So this is a 22 by 30 mold. The paper is 60 inches and um, the book is here for you to see. I don't have slides of it uh, finished. Okay, and these this is another one of my own pieces. Yeah. Right. Let's go back. These are these are not books. So we'll end on that note. And you can see some of the books in the reception.